Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I must complete the journey that my father never could. I must do it on foot. Can't remember why. It will be called The Footsteps of My Father Walk. My home isn't insulated. Monkey tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Lover on him, Nolsey. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey Tennis. Oh, fuck off, Nick. Hello, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, where this week we're crossing the streams, continuing to cover Nomad, but also veering very much into Alpha Papa territory. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. You don't know where you are. Nick Older. You don't know what you're doing. And Tom Stab. You haven't got any ham left. <laughs> so uh, the batons passed over to Tom Dark to cover these episodes. That's that's me passing it to myself from last week. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Tom. Yeah. I've misunderstood the fundamentals of a relay. <laughs> Do you want me to take over? I could step no, in. No, at this no, point. no, no, definitely no, not. No, you, no, no, you're absolutely fine. Uh, yes. So this week we are starting with chapter twenty-one. You don't have to be mad to work here. 
but Pat was. <laughs> so this is Alan essentially retelling the uh, story of the radio siege that we see in Alpha Papa, uh, also slipping into third person quite a lot. Um, he deals with the hair criticism um, that the character suffered. He focuses on the badly managed change by Gordale Media, leading to Pat going mad. And he definitely retells his role in the siege in a far more favourable light. Um, so the, the, the first highlight I have here was... Q3.13 was an odd time for Alan Partridge, a period of flux as evidenced by the daring hairstyle I developed, a slightly looser, longer, louncher, 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 lanker style. You're never too old to experiment, although you wouldn't know it from the outrage response when I presented it to the world. And what I think is great about this section is this is very clearly directly referencing the internet criticism that um, Alan's character suffered about the new haircut. So there then follow lines, I don't understand why your hair is like that, people would say. Like it even frigging mattered. You don't even look like Alan anymore. Why is that? That's not Alan. Alan's is shorter. Why have you made it long at the back? It shouldn't be long. Alan has short hair. <laughs> yeah, so I think that that's literally the first note that I've got in this chapter as well, is that the Gibbons having a little dig back at yeah. the criticism that they received. I feel like they've probably taken that from a, a comment section or like a Reddit thread or something like that. Although probably not the Gibbons' fault, that, no. that decision. That would have been... I don't know, actually, who... Probably Steve Coogan's? I don't well, know. We've, we've discussed at times where he he's kind of aged in one series, then he's more youthful in another, but I'd say Alpha Papa Allen is definitely one of the more youthful uh, Allens. Well... Um, I rewatched the start of Alpha Papa with the commentary on for the purposes of this section of the book, because I'm going to cover a little bit that talks about the siege as well. Um, and they say that the reason that there's no sort of prosthetics or anything to make him look older is that when you put on aging makeup on uh, on someone and then it's on the cinema screen, it can look really bad, like really obviously bad. I mean, you saw it in I'm Alan Partridge series two. That's yeah. pretty obvious. Now imagine that blown up on a giant cinema screen. It would look terrible. But I think it worked out at the time of recording this series, Coogan is uh, in real life 53. So when they were recording Alpha Papa, he'd been late 40. So it's like he wouldn't, I think, don't think he would have needed aging makeup. And I actually think even though, I think the thing about the fan reaction about the haircut was it, the fact it was different people didn't like it but i actually think it's quite reasonable that alan the character being that bit older going into a bit more of a smashy and nicey style haircut i think is actually quite believable mm. also he's allowed to change up his look yeah that's but fine people that don't like change they're yeah. scared and afraid and arguably yeah. alpha, in alpha papa stage he's sort of post kind of major midlife crisis and so he's, he's perhaps just a more relaxed and naturally vibrant alan anyway mm. yeah just a little bit earlier, um, Alan talks about a pain that he's having in his foot um, after uh, a shot. He, after he got shot in the foot from the barrel of a madman, he says in the book. Um, and he says that even though the shot wasn't fatal, Alan Partridge died that day. A new Alan Partridge was born. A wiser, cooler, kinder Alan Partridge. A Partridge I've become rather fond of. Now we all know that's absolute bollocks, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> There's also a footnote at the end of the uh, at the end of that section that's not in the audiobook. Again, I'm, I'm not really sure why. A callback within a callback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it says. So, I think we do know why. It's Steve going. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not reading that. I mean, fair enough. But why did I sign this off? Yeah. For one thing, it gave me a new perspective on the killing of Forbes McAllister, a death that was weighed heavy on me on and off for three decades. Forbes, you'll remember, was tragically shot on, uh, as it turned out, the final episode of my television chat show. Now I too have been shot. We've essentially been through the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's quite appropriate talking about uh, death at this point. That leads me on to my next uh, highlight, which was the mentions of Michael. So in this chapter, you have the line, mercifully, 
Uh, no one was hurt, brackets, with the exception of Michael, who died. And throughout the book, um, the line, with the exception of Michael, who died, that features four times. You also have a few variations of that. Uh, the tragedy that left to the death of one person, brackets, Michael. You also have a friend who is dead and a dead chap I know called Michael. Uh, just to pick up the second half of that footnote about Forbes McAllister, uh, there's a nice bit where Alan's comparing sort of uh, his reaction to being shot and his treatment of his assailant versus Forbes McAllister. I mean, Forbes obviously died, so slightly different. Uh, he says, uh, uh, while my family didn't get lawyers involved and start pointing fingers at Farrell and crying outside tribunals, that may just be because I come from nicer stock. It may also be because Farrell didn't pull the trigger, brackets, can't remember who did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, there's a nice little bit just at the start where he also says um, that uh, the, the pain in his ankle from being shot uh, flares up when he walks. A small hello from his body's nerve centre to me, like a poke from a divorcee you've not Facebooked for a while. And I thought, that's a Carol <laughs> reference, isn't it? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a few other highlights uh, at the beginning of this chapter. Uh, he references Cheryl Crow uh, as she once squawked a change. And then with each time he writes a change, you then have a footnote of the backing singers uh, where they would be singing... Uh, would do you good uh, which obviously they don't do the footnotes for that in the audiobook no. it's quite hard to explain yeah really. it wouldn't make sense it, no, would it it wouldn't no, work it, it would ruin it yeah. but um, I it's did think that not... was quite fun I, I, I think they could do it in the audiobook it would go something like this surely it'd be like uh, <laughs> a, a, Cheryl, a, go. a Cheryl Crow once squawked a change footnote a change would do you good would do you good I think a change footnote a change would do you good would do you good footnote would do you good oh I think a change footnote would do you good would do you good footnote would do you good yeah, so I, I think we've all agreed it doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the section where Alan starts talking about uh, the mumbo-jumbo you often get from management consultants. <laughs> but but preceding that, he said, within minutes of striding into any office or shop, I was and am able to identify failing processes, dream up an attitude matrix, suggest mantras that management <laughs> must repeat to staff each morning, and generally map out a road path to collective betterment. This is just forward solutions again, isn't it? It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. But it's not mumbo jumbo. We've been very clear. <laughs> this chapter, I feel, is just, is a litany of callbacks that don't feel too nostalgic, but just remind you of all all of classic Partridge. So there's also things like uh, whether you believe in evolution or revolu- revolution, they yep. put in that, or devolution. Yes. Yep. Um, and then there's uh, there's bits about him having a go at his fe- uh, fellow DJs, the section about forward solutions. Um, yeah, it's just kind of lots of bits, uh, sort of a, a thinly veiled reference to Carol. Um, yeah, it, it, it's greatest hits chapter, basically, isn't it? Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's it's a great, greatest hits a partridge, but um, all wrapped up in the world of Alpha Papa, which is arguably not one of the greatest bits of partridge, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> True. It, it's interesting. My heart did sink a little when I thought, oh, I'm going to have to kind of rewatch the film just to cover these chapters properly, although only actually a section of the film. Um, a great bit, I think, is when Alan retells the incident of Just Sack Pat. Um, mm-hmm. that, and this is a great uh, perspective flip into the unreliable narrator. Obviously, we've seen how this all unfolds in the film. The way Alan describes it in the book is as thus. It was the bosses who wanted to get rid of him. I even volunteered to stand up for Pat at a meeting of the company's top brass. But when I got to the portal room, the door was jammed and I couldn't get in. <laughs> and then I really like the way he's kind of playing around with the words here. So Alan says that he was saying, just save Pat, for God's sake. <laughs> I wanted to say but the door had other ideas and stayed jammed. There was nothing I could do but walk away from the jammed door, like the fourth <laughs> instance yeah, of yeah. jammed. Really yeah. jammed. Um, and there are a few other bits which we'll get into shortly where um, they, they go into quite a lot of detail where they're playing around with this script that we've seen and know from the film and then Alan playing around with the words to make it 
paint him in a favorable light instead mm. but before then we've got a little quiz coming up Ooh, um nice based around this passage uh, Alan is talking about the uh, the shape launch party. He writes, uh, and actually this is in a footnote, it was a party to usher in the brand new station, Shape, the way you want it to be. I admit that at the time I liked the brand. Shape felt modern and powerful. Others weren't so sure whether it was because they didn't understand marketing or were just opposed to radio stations sounding like yogurts. So it's time for the quiz, yogurt brand or radio station. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, got quite a few here. So we're going to try and do this quick fire. You are going to get, uh, you're going to get nine uh, options each. So we're going to start with Adam, then we'll do Tom, then we'll do Nick. Jed is going to keep score. So I am a yogurt fan, so I'm, I'm going in, and, and, and have been on regional radio a bit, so I'm brimming with confidence here. Right. So Big I'm, chat I'm, from gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a name and I want to know whether it's yogurt or radio. Okay. Adam, are you ready? I'm ready. Twist. Radio. Incorrect. Uh, taste. Radio. Correct. You'd never call a yogurt taste, would you? But, Chill. But, but it works for radio. Radio. Correct. Culture. Oh, that's good. I like that. Uh, I'm going to say yogurt. It's yogurt. Yep. Smooth. Radio. Correct. Quark. <laughs> yogurt. Correct. Vitality. Yogurt. Yes. <laughs> I, knew, I, knew the an- I knew the answer. Sure, sure. I'm the quiz master. Uh, sunrise. Radio. Correct. Galaxy. Yogurt. Incorrect. Sure it is radio. Yeah. Uh, uh, I thought, like, you know, like Galaxy Moose. Chocolate Moose. What are the scores in that round for Adam? <laughs> the score for Jed turning his microphone on is zero. Adam got seven. Seven. Uh, bad. Adam. Respectable. Uh, eat it, freshers. <laughs> Yogurt. <laughs> Tom, are you ready for your round of Yogurt or Radio? I'm ready. Let's go. Amore. Yogurt. Correct. Cherie. Yogurt. Incorrect. Oh. Red cherry. Well, it's a flavour of yogurt, surely. That's not what I've got on my sheet, Tom. Red cherry. We're going for brand names here, not Okay, flavors. all right, okay. Red cherry, radio. Correct. The collective. <laughs> radio. Incorrect. Oh. Woodlands. <laughs> radio. That's Incorrect. Oh. Yeah. Also, Devon's greatest theme park. <laughs> Summer Valley. Yogurt. Incorrect. Oh, You're a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Little Melton. Radio. Incorrect. <laughs> Riverside. Radio. Correct. River Cottage. Yogurt. Correct. Uh, Jed, can you give us Tom's score there? Five. Tom Stab has four. Oh, four for Tom. Shocking. Nick. Clearly, I'm not a yogurt connoisseur this like Adam. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's fair enough. He is a yogurt connoisseur. I am, I am very lactose tolerant. <laughs> Nick has been on radio. <laughs> Regional radio. <laughs> radio. Nick, are you ready for your round of yogurt or radio? Yes. Let's play. Three counties. Radio. Correct. Sky. Radio. Correct. Vanilla. <laughs> radio. Correct. Vanilla Sky. Uh, yogurt. Correct. Drystone. <laughs> yogurt. Incorrect. <gasps> Stonyfield. Uh, yogurt. Correct. This is tense. Brown cow. <laughs> <laughs> I would tune into brown cow. I'm going to say radio. Incorrect. Oh. 
Big Cow. <laughs> I'm going to tune into Big Cow. It's radio. Correct. Call her a Big Cow and hang up. Yeah. Uh, Creamfields. Uh, I've really got a rushy. Okay, radio. Incorrect. It's a yogurt. Well then, Jed, what are the schools? This is going to be tight. Oh, tense. Well, Nick got six. Oh, oh. self-proclaimed yogurt connoisseur is victorious. His oh, name is Adam <laughs> Adam, congratulations! You've won a muller corner of your choosing. Oh, amazing! Can I have chocolatey balls? <laughs> but no. what about the yogurt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's his uh, grinder name, etc., etc. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Back oh, to the chapter yeah, where just, if, if, a, if a butterfly <laughs> flaps its wings in the boardroom, an Irishman's going to go berserk in Studio 2. <laughs> it's just chaos theory. So back into the chapter, there's a nice little BBC dig here as well. Uh, Alan writes, Pat was one of those DJs who thought he was entitled to a job for life. Perhaps he once worked at the BBC. I don't know. Um, oh, another highlight, without wanting to attract the ire of mental health charities, he was a div who went schizo. <laughs> That's definitely fine to say, yeah. isn't it? Um, my favourite, we've just gone past my favourite bit of revisionism. Obviously, this is Alan uh, reflecting on things in, in an entirely unreliable way. But the best bit is, uh, he says, minutes later, I was in the office of station manager Greg Frampton, pleading with him to beef up security ahead of that night's party. <laughs> yeah, that is great. Um, the drunk racist woman that turns oh, up yeah, out, outside the party um, where Alan has previously spent a night with her. And I think she's an unnamed character. I don't think we ever learn her name. Um, Alan writes in the book, I helped this debilitatingly Welsh woman to a waiting car. Come with me, she pleaded. Make love to me, please. Partridge smiled. Oh, it's worth pointing out he slipped into the third person yeah. by this point. Partridge smiled wistfully and looked down and then far away. I see, she whispered, your heart belongs to another. Where in the reality of the Alpha Papa movie, we've seen that Alan is trying to get rid of her as quickly as possible, yeah, yeah. gets Lynn to bundle her into a cab. Yeah, he doesn't help her to a waiting car. He absolutely palms the situation <laughs> yeah. off on Lynn and Lynn, runs away. Deal with that. I don't want her to be here. Because God loves everyone, even sluts. Uh, I made a note that you've got some really good voice acting from Coogan in this chapter. He does a Welsh accent yep. and an Irish accent when he's being Pat. I think later you probably get some Geordie accent as well. But the, the weird thing about that is it. In terms of Coogan performing an audiobook, fine. We know he's a very good impressionist, very experienced at doing lots of different accents. But for Alan, the character, it doesn't really fit, does it? I don't think Alan would be as competent at accents. Are you saying like that this. Coogan should have deliberately done bad accents on the audiobook to make uh, it more Alan appropriate? Yeah, I think mm. arguably, yeah. There is one example of the character Alan doing an impression of uh, someone from Wales. John's the Bond. Exactly. Which yeah. isn't, yeah. it's not, a, uh, well, actually, I'm about to offend all of Wales, aren't I? It's not a bad Welsh accent. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, seven. It's, it's like when he does um, anyone with a kind of working class, you know, background, he very much kind of puts on a kind of uh, version of what he believes a working class yeah. uh, accent is, which is basically derogatory. Yeah. But I, I think particularly in this chapter, when you've got Coogan doing the Welsh and Irish, he's doing those properly, which yeah. almost takes you a bit out of the conceit of Alan going through the audiobook. But, yeah. Uh, it's like the Giles Brandreth um, uh, yes. does as yeah, well. That, exactly. that feels yeah, yeah. like it's Coogan having a crack at a Giles Brandreth rather than Alan doing a working class uh, accent, which is just essentially offensive. I thought that accent was, or that impression of him was actually quite 
spot on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's yeah. what we're saying, okay. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We've all agreed. Mm. Um, Very clear. Yeah. yeah. Did everybody enjoy the section about all the people at the radio show that shat themselves? Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> Good news, Adam. That's the next bit in my notes here. Praise be. <laughs> the other men in the room were packing heat. If you accept packing heat as a euphemism for shitting your pants, you could literally hear and smell these men. And it's only fair that I named them. Danny it's Sinclair. only fair. Yeah. It's only He's fair. Just doing the Danny right Sinclair, thing. Greg Frampton, Jason Treswell, involuntarily <laughs> filling their pants with warm ex- excreta until they were well and truly packing heat. <laughs> Horrible and demeaning for them to read this, but important that I paint a full picture <laughs> Very of that Very important. Room. Yeah. I mean, we know from the film that they didn't, right? Well, we, yeah. I don't think we know, but the okay. assumption is that they, they probably yeah. did. I mean, the only person, the only person I think who comes closest is uh, Michael doing a shit in a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But, and he's very sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but may, maybe that's uh, what, what the smell was, Michael's shit in a box. Uh, there are some great clunky similes uh, in this chapter. His Irish accent clogging his throat up like an unclean dishwasher filter. <laughs> <laughs> so specific. We then return to Alan as the unreliable narrator. We've got the perspective flip here where you can compare what happens in the film side by side to how he retells it in the chapters of the book uh alan again in the third person rounding a corner he saw sidekick simon unable to handle the tension anymore and quite an odd man anyway literally clobbering himself with a fire extinguisher in a bid to achieve unconsciousness anything to take the fear away obviously in the film what we've seen is alan is the one who clobbers him with the fire extinguisher by accident but there's also quite a nice detail uh in the film alan's all amped up and he's trying to be a bit of a is it a bit of an al pacino like you step to me yeah but in the book he claims he said to simon why don't you step with me (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's not long after this bit you get so he partridge as in i me brackets not sure how or when i slipped into third person apologies (laughs) um and in the studios he writes death was in the air although it turned out just to be the fecal stench of Danny Sinclair Greg Frampton and Jason Tresswell who had continued to soil themselves <laughs> naming them all three of them once again <laughs> the um, right thing to do uh, so there's a nice moment where Alan can't name Apocalypse Now he says it's clear that Farrell like Marlon Brando in that film where he was all fat in the jungle had gone quite quite mad which I enjoyed I assume uh, the film that he's referencing is The Island of Dr Moreau where he is fat and in the jungle See, I didn't think it was that because in the line just before that, he actually said, uses the phrase the heart of darkness, which is the film about the making of Apocalypse Now. Right. I just think that he isn't fat in Apocalypse Now, whereas he is fat and in the jungle. But he's the written the phrase right. the heart of darkness. Yeah. Which but maybe is about Apocalypse Now. But that could be the joke. It's a joke within a joke. So it's a joke within a joke which needs to be rolled out into a poll? Inception. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's, a, it's a poll. And how's that going to work uh i'll log into twitter set up a poll set it live and watch the listeners side with me mm. i think it's three against one around the table here yeah. okay well <laughs> hang on a minute we've got we've actually got... four against one because jed <laughs> jed, jed what do you think apocalypse now yeah it's a yes from jed the next bit i've got highlighted uh is where alan writes later people would say my decision to broadcast with him was crass and opportunistic i would simply say this it was not and i would also say <laughs> go shaft yourself i would also like to add something about their mothers um he later continues um that every technique he employed within the siege was lifted directly from forward solutions um which it turns out is uh, yet to be published um he also writes what more can you ask than a peacefully resolved siege from which the participants emerge enriched emboldened and crucially unharmed brackets with the exception of michael who died 
I think what actually we learn here is that the the full title for Forward Solutions, I don't think we've had that before, have we? It's always been referred to as Forward Solutions, but actually it's uh, oh. Forward Solutions, an imbecile's guide by Alan Partridge, <laughs> so this, brackets YTBP. This is the uh, this is the accompaniment, isn't it, to, to Forward Solutions. This is the book and it's a play on, you know, sort of like Mac programming for dummies. For dummies, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one of those for, for imbeciles. For right. <laughs> Except it's basically insulting the reader yeah. rather than complimenting them. Absolutely. Uh, heading towards the end of this chapter, Alan lists uh, the hastily scribbled publishing deals that gave us cash-in books from Danny Sinclair, Three Days in Norfolk, Jason Treswell, Dead Air, Chastity the Cleaner, My Name is Chastity, Wood Reed. and Dave Clifton, Colossal Velocity. I've always thought Colossal Velocity would, would have been a Colossal Velocity. Nice to say, isn't it? Mm. Uh, would have been a great name for the film. But I thought, question, why not make this a question to the group? If you had to name your own cash-in book about the siege in Alpha Papa, what would you call it? Uh, I brainstormed a few ideas, so I, I can fire these ones off and see what, we, what else we can come up with. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are quite a few. Some of these are bad. Some of these are even worse. Uh, <laughs> Partridge Down. Assault on Precinct Partridge, The Taking of Partridge AGP, 24-Hour Partridge People, like it. Bravo yeah. 2 Partridge, <laughs> Zero Dark Partridge, <laughs> What I Talk About When I Talk About Sieges, Designated Partridge, and Under Siege and Over the Airwaves. Very good. I'd like to add to that list Pat Farrell and Both Barrels. Uh, yeah, and I like it. The Man Who Went Up a Siege and Came Down a Bell End. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. Uh, lock, Stock and Two Smoking Farrels. No, One Smoking Farrels. Oh, yes. yes, I'll accept. Uh, crash Bang Wallet, What a Siege. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, a View to a Partridge. Fine, sure. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time to talk about Alan's Cock and Bulls? Yes. <laughs> when I is mean, it not? It's been time for weeks, finally. <laughs> the genitals seemingly peeping from between my thighs like the head of a shy bird. <laughs> my favourite is actually the next line. As one colleague said, yeah. it's the first time I've ever seen a dick look frightened. <laughs> uh, and uh, towards the end of this chapter, Alan does claim that for a few days he was something of a folk hero uh, until he retracted his comments when he was next on air and offered Gordon Media a full and frank apology because you can't muck around with your career like that. Uh, do we think maybe that's why he didn't get a book deal because people didn't really want to back him and believe in him? Yeah, and also I think savvier uh, employees at uh, Gordale Media had got in there first. Four, four books had already been published yeah. about this before yeah. he probably and, even got pen to paper. And also his pitch based on the contents of this chapter would be unreliable and no publisher would go near <laughs> yeah, it because yeah. it, it frankly isn't true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this, this publisher went near it. Yeah. This yeah. is an absolute James Frey a million tiny pieces scenario, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Where they're yeah. like, this isn't a memoir, yeah. mate. This yeah, didn't yeah, happen. Yeah. It's fine because Alan says, not that I've ever had a desire to write about my experience if i'm going to write a book about anything it'll be about walking slash my father thanks very much yeah he spent 12 pages talking about this uh, <laughs> and also he says if i'm going to write a book about anything it'll be walking my father thanks very much seemingly forgetting that he's actually two-thirds of a way through the book about exactly that <laughs> and we've had hardly any walking and we know next to nothing about his father <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to chapter 22 has anyone else got anything for that uh, only if his foot is sore as all heck and oozing red like a squash jammy Oh, it really is. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, chapter 22, standing at the crossroads of my mind. So here we are back to day seven. So we haven't really progressed on the journey yet. Uh, it's the end of day seven. The injured foot is getting worse. He's missed the last ferry of the day. The B&Bs are closed. Uh, we see Alan walk to a park and he will end up befriending a tramp called Brian who allegedly gives him TV format advice and this will end with him sleeping on a bench in Tilbury. And he doesn't have any ham left. He really doesn't. Um, now... I just want to start with the chapter title here because I think a lot of the chapter titles in this book are references of titles of either films, plays, books, etc. I couldn't work out for sure what this is a reference. So I, d- I don't know if anybody knows if this is a specific thing that we haven't picked up on. Because it, it was kind of making me think of um, the song Windmills of Your Mind, mm. The Crossroads of My Mind. Yeah. Um, so I did, did look into a few things that maybe it's, it's a song lyric or a song title, but I wasn't 100% sure. Uh, there is a song, Crossroads of My Mind, by the Sugar Plum Fairies, but I thought that didn't seem very Alan. Uh, there is an ABBA lyric, Standing Calmly at the Crossroads, No Desire to Run, from the ABBA song, When All is Said and Done. Um, but I was talking to Tom Stab about this, um, and Tom was suggesting that perhaps it's referencing selling your soul to the devil at the crossroads, as per the legends uh, attributed to Robert Johnson or Tommy Johnson. Um, so would that theory then follow through that Brian the Tramp is actually Brian the Devil? Is Alan selling his soul for a successful six-part primetime series on walking? <laughs> or just some sherry. Yeah. Yeah, just that. <laughs> or more ham. <laughs> uh, yeah. Either way, we don't know for sure. If you can nail down that chapter title, then do let us know, thepartridgepod at gmail.com. Uh, yeah. and glory will be yours <laughs> or so, some ham, <laughs> yeah, ham. Yeah. we'll send you some wafer thin ham um, yes yeah, so Adam you're right the foot is oozing red like a squashed jammy donut and I've made a note that this is the first of many quite gross foot injury descriptions they definitely get worse as the book uh, goes on I really enjoyed him writing with my shoes back on brackets that was a fun 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> so you know his foot's already painful mm. and probably swollen um Alan writes the last ferry of the day has already left and I did fact check that the last ferry of the day would leave at approximately 7pm-ish so assuming it's past that time that that all checks out and with the local B&Bs either closed or full or terrible (laughs) I've got a problem on my hands there's another great clunky simile my mood now as black as an NHS filling I mean it's quite a good descriptor but also I just think any other writer wouldn't use something like that. Alan writes about the fact that he's uh, looking up at the stars and that he can't remember the names of the constellations, but I'm pretty sure there's one named after a ride at Alton Towers. Now, I think he actually means the Big Dipper. Uh, If it was Alton Towers, you could choose from the Smiler, Wicker Man, Galactica, Spinball Wizards, Oblivion, Nemesis, Rita, or Congo River Rapids. 
I don't think it's any of them. No. No. And it's definitely not that way around. I'm pretty sure the constellations weren't named after Alton Towers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, in, in Alan's mind, they probably are. Mm. So we've we covered Alan's mental checklist at the very top of this episode. Uh, you don't know where you are. You don't know what you're doing. You don't have any ham left. Uh, to, to remedy this uh, descending state of panic, uh, he begins to lick out the empty ham packet. The few oh, remaining drops of meat yeah, sweat. That's just grim, <laughs> no match it? for the heft and power of my tongue. <laughs> the hit of saline briefly lifts my spirits. Um, and then there are further bullet points to this. It's true. You don't know where you are. It's true. You don't know what you're doing. And let me add something else. You feel isolated and alone. So, I mean, that's literally the first list again, just minus the ham, isn't it? Uh, minus the ham, added isolation. I like his uh, his stylistic choices with these bullet points as well. Yep. He says, uh, I'm pleased to see that my brain... He's now commenting on the works of his own brain like it's a separate thing. <laughs> uh, I'm pleased to see that my brain has ignored the default bullet, a simple black dot, and picked a slightly more stylish one, presumably by going to format bullets and numbering. <laughs> He's not going to be alone for much longer because Alan is about to meet Brian the Tramp. The initial reference that Alan, Alan's brain comes up with is Phil Collins' Another Day in Paradise. Yeah. Obviously, Phil is a consistent musical reference point in the APU. Alan writes, he's pleased that the Phil Collins reference has come to me so easily. I want to think about Collins more, a lot more, but the elderly vagrant waves to me. Uh, I have a note here when Alan writes, still, the man is waving. Because he's homeless, I'm immediately scared. I've written down there, Alan is Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid of the homeless. I love the homeless. He's afraid of crabs. Yeah, it's yeah. crabs and quaddy. What about a homeless man in the sea? Uh, no, that's fine. I'm only afraid. But he's of... in the sea, though. No, no, that's fine. It's just sea quaddy that I'm a, I'm afraid of. Would you dive into the sea to rescue a homeless man who was in trouble? Uh, has he got a dog with him? No, and there are six crabs. Uh, <laughs> six whole crabs, I'm, I'm, and they're tiny. Yeah, I just say I'm so sorry, mate. Because I watched the crabs devour him. Uh, if there was a Jack Russell though that was struggling, I'd jump in and get him. Right. The complicated world of Nicola. <laughs> um, I like that uh, he, he says that the um, the tramp says to him, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? Clearly a line from Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles. Oh, but Alan's response, Ipswich. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yep. And again, that, that's, one of those, that's one of those bits of writing that works so well in the audiobook form as well. Yeah. I like the description that Alan says, uh, he has a friendly voice and it's a pleasant surprise to meet a homeless person who isn't from Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Did you enjoy the description of his hair? Oh. Uh, shall I talk you through yeah. that? Yes. Uh, one side is basically forming into a dreadlock, whilst the other side is lank and fine, uh, like a pair of Siamese twins joined at the hairstyle. Let's <laughs> enjoy the line. If he tries anything funny, I know I can slap him in the face. <laughs> basically, it's fine to assault the homeless, is what he's saying, if they try anything funny. Uh, Alan also tells us about the time he was cornered uh, by a tramp in a park that tried to rope him into a pyramid scheme uh, where you find 10 people to sell loose cigarettes and they find 10 people and well, I don't remember the details but it sounded on paper like absolute guff. <laughs> Who do you think would play uh, Brian in the uh, in the TV version of Nomad? I think this could be uh, Neil Morrissey. Well, yeah. I mean, not to spoil it too much, I guess we're going to come on to the, the question of how real or fictitious yeah, Brian actually we'll, we'll is. Come, we will come to Fair that. Enough, I, yeah. I would say this is a perfect opportunity for uh, for Steve Coogan to uh, play dress nice. up again and, yes. and, and be yeah. Brian. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm liking good. that, Adam. I'm liking that a lot. I mean, I think one of the one of the touch points here about that Brian may not be all that he seems is that Alan says that he's he's touched by Brian's enthusiasm for his canon. Uh, yeah. Seemingly, Brian's got a an extensive knowledge of Alan's career despite yeah. not having access. <laughs> to a television or radio <laughs> so I think haven't we discussed in the APU I think there's maybe only one time where he actually meets somebody who actually knows who he is which is when he fla um, flags down the car in Alpha yeah. Papa and someone's Alan Partridge? Oh, Partridge that's the one time he's recognised and the one time he doesn't engage with it um, oh, so Jed Maxwell as well 
Yeah, mm. it's a, his biggest fan, aside from that. Um, yeah, Alan writes, I had no idea I had a following in the homeless community, <laughs> but he's angry at himself for being so judgmental. Just because he's homeless doesn't mean he's not capable of standing outside curries and looking in at the TVs. Turns out Brian is such a fan, he's clearly aware of Alan since his work on the day-to-day. Uh, he claims I once did an interview at a racetrack in which I mistook a jockey for a child. <laughs> and yes, we know that that happened. Yeah. There's a nice bit not long after this where Alan writes, I'm now in a park going nowhere, I'm absolutely going no... And it cuts off. And that really reminded me of, I think it's a cut scene in I'm Alan Partridge. I'm going nowhere, Lynn. Quite literally, I'm on the ring road. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Brian silences Alan by putting his fingers to his lips. They smell of cigarettes and beef crisps. Mm. Now, I have a question to the group. Uh, in an earlier episode in this series, we talked about our uh, favourite sandwich of choice. What about your favourite crisp of choice? What are the best flavours? What are your go-tos? Oh, that is a huge question. It's a big question, I understand. I understand. I'm, re- <laughs> I understand I'm, re- the- I'm ready to answer. Okay, right, Nick, go. Flavour-wise, I would always go beef and uh, crisp of choice would be Monster Munch. Beef Monster Munch from Nick. Solid choice. I mean, it's not really a crisp, it's more of a maze snack. It's a maze-based snack, based snack is isn't it? it? I think is that, that a different... It's like a slightly just, different genre. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, it, I'll allow it. Yeah, I'll allow thanks. it. I think we're thanks for, split, I think we're, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> your mercy. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> we're splitting hairs. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry, splitting. splitting. <laughs> I, I think when you're going for a, a basic crisp, it's always got to be Walker's salt and vinegar. Right. Um, for a maze-based snack, I would also second Monster Munch. Personally, yeah, the Flaming Hot. Flaming uh, Hot, great. Flaming Hot flavour. As a bonus answer, for more of a pub-based snack, I would have to go with Scampi Fries. Ooh, do Ooh, like yeah. a Scampi yeah. Fry. Ooh, yeah. Delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at home, very partial to a tortilla chip, uh, be it lightly salted or, if I'm feeling naughty, chilly heat wave. Ooh, uh, so but, naughty. Uh, just, <laughs> just, so, just so indulgent. In terms of a maze-based snack, I mean, a new contender's entered the game over this very recording weekend. It's uh, Cheetos Twisted Flaming Hot flavour. <laughs> Which are absolutely foul, but, one, <laughs> but wonderful on the tongue. Yeah. Uh, re- reassure, reassuringly massive, like each one of them is like a car part. Uh, and also, if you eat enough of them, it forms a delicious maze mouth guard, which will protect your teeth from yeah. any other food. They, they are covered in flavour dust. And, and seriously, Adam, they stink. They get, a little, get all in the nooks and crannies, don't they? So you can save them for later and have a little... They absolutely do. It was like a squirrel's favourite food. <laughs> so what we're saying is really good for recording, really get stuck in and around the teeth and the gums. I don't know what you mean, Tom. <laughs> I'm quite a fan of uh, putting crisps into a sandwich. Yes. So I would probably go for something that is flat and tangy. Uh, so I would probably go for something like a uh, salt and vinegar square or something like that Ooh, to put in a sandwich. I will say, I think salt and vinegar square squares are probably the saltiest and vinegariest of yep. the salt and vinegar. That's why I want them in my they, sandwich. They are so, great for a hangover. Also, see discos. Oh, yep. Yeah, discos, I great. Think I, I, would, I would always choose squares over discos. In a sandwich, that is absolute carb-on-carb violence. Yeah, it? it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and usually on a hangover as well. Can we uh, agree it's never Doritos Cool Original? Yeah, we can agree. Uh, I they mean, if bad. they're in a bowl on the table and I fancy, yeah, fine, but I'm not going to go and buy them. It's, not it's fine. It's not top tier. Yeah, it's definitely not top tier. Um, although this may all change because I did buy a bag of Walker's uh, Poppables, <laughs> which are yet to be <laughs> yet tried, to be yet to be sampled. So this could be revised with, a voice, note, <laughs> with a voice note. With a voice note. Interjection. We're <laughs> uh, listening to Snack Chat with Tom Stab. Yeah, and I'm also a big fan of the uh, Flaming Hot Monster Munch. Yes. Yep. Jed, I'm scared to ask you what your favourite crisp is. <laughs> oh, no, he's desperate <laughs> to get the microphone out. I like Transformer snacks. <laughs> Jed, absolutely fuck off, get out. Lee. Is it petrified prawns, they, tangy toms? Are they still only 20p a pack? Yeah, they are. Yeah, but because they used to be 10p, Value, right? value for money, tasty, 
and you get a game at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> a nice toy. It's the Kinder Egg of uh, Chris Snacks. Do they still make Space Raiders? They I do, imagine? yeah. Oh, nice. Also yeah. 20p, sometimes 25. Listeners, why don't you get in touch and let us know what your favourite crisp flavour is? Oh, I can't oh. wait for all the arguments to kick off over that as well. World Cup of Crisps? <laughs> a poll? <laughs> Back to the chapter then. Uh, Alan and Brian are passing uh, a bottle of sherry back and forth and Brian finds some Jaffa cakes in the bin next to them. <laughs> I really enjoyed this bit. Uh, remember, to a no-homer, bins are like supermarkets. We're in Gravesend, so it's more likely to be Morrisons and Waitrose, but, and this is lovely writing, beggars literally can't be choosers. <laughs> it's lovely writing. I think he's done a pretty uh, good job there. Although beggars can be choosers. Not according to Alan's writing, they can't. If you go up to a beggar and go, do you want this 50p or this £50 note? They're going to choose the £50 note, aren't they? A beggar can be a chooser. It's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, following this, uh, this is where Brian starts to give Alan TV format advice, which is where I think you do st- have to start questioning what's actually going on here. Um, what's more interesting than how our father shaped us and how we use that shape to shape the world? The journey you're going on, Alan, people write books about that. And Alan replies, yes, and make TV shows. I laughed. Um, he continues, Brian is on a roll. God love him. He, seem, <laughs> he seems to think it could be easily formatted up, up into a six-part series in which I crisscross the country, recreating intensely personal journeys made by famous historical figures, walking in the footsteps of other people's fathers. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty obvious note, but I've written down, uh, this is very clearly uh, Alan's idea and ultimate hope, isn't it? There's no way that Brian suggested this. Continuing the TV format chat, um, Alan writes this is something I'm pretty sure I've never heard a homeless person say before proof of concept again that's definitely Alan not Brian (laughs) saying that and there's uh, quite a weird bit when um, Brian is apparently telling Alan about the the wonderful remuneration of uh, Julia Bradbury's TV uh, format work although instead of saying the words wonderfully remunerated he just says Bradbury gets and then takes my phone and types out three pound symbols (laughs) I thought that was a very weird detail and like it's kind of funny and sticks in your mind but it also doesn't really enhance the humour of the section that much I I thought it's a very weird uh, kind of it's a very weird choice for them to do that i think um now speaking of julia bradbury uh i think we did cover her list of tv credentials when we discussed mid-morning matters series two um so just a couple of highlights of her walking based show credits um because the titles alone are staggering you've got wainwright's walks bbc4 2007 fine but then you've got railway walks with julia bradbury bbc1 2011 best walks with a view with julia bradbury itv 2016 britain's best walks with julia bradbury itv 2017 britain's favorite walks top 100 (laughs) itv 2018 she really is absolutely rinsing that isn't she to be fair to brian i'm with him it's absolutely three pound signs isn't it she's coining it (laughs) oh yeah and on could could you just type that on my phone instead of saying it out though sorry i should have done that and on average uh digital tv guide most of those titles are going way off the amount of space you've got (laughs) the the ep is massively struggling to display that yep i also like that she has no loyalty between the bbc and itv she's gone literally wherever those three pound signs are hasn't she (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. now to tackle the thrust of brian here one of three things is happening in this chapter isn't it one is that this has unfolded exactly as it's been explained to us by alan one is that he did encounter a tramp called brian that bit's true and then the rest of it has just been added by alan and and three is that none of this happened and it's just a, a literary conceit I personally believe that it did happen because I think the fact that he calls out things that happen on the day-to-day and suggests that, you know, Alan was interviewing a child and Alan has no recollection of that makes me think that it did genuinely happen. And the joke actually is that Alan finally finds someone that does like him, does agree with him, (laughs) does say the things that he wants to hear, but 
this this man happens to be a tramp with not a penny to his so name. It's, it's almost a, the, a beautiful conceit that nobody yeah, would believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's like finally he's got the person that will champion him, but that person is Brian, who is homeless and has not a pot to uh, urinate in. Uh, well, there's more Brian chat coming up in the next chapter, but you know what, guys? I think we've been going for what about nearly forty minutes now, and I, I'm starting to flag a little bit energy levels wise. How, how's everyone else feeling? Yeah, well, are we opening the bubble balls? I, 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 <laughs> I, I could really do with a bit of a glucose hit. I wish that I had well, some kind of lucky for you, Tom. What's this, Tom? I've been busy in the kitchen. Now, Uh-oh. previously in chapters, oh, uh, in previous in a previous episode, we uh, talked about jam bombs. And if you need I'm not, a... I'm not eating a jam bomb. Why are you not eating a jam bomb? I hate... I don't like jam. No, you're eating a jam bomb, mate. Oh, uh, no. This looks Nick, like but, something that would go up a mule's anus. But Nick, why, so, would you, why would you not eat a jam bomb? They're literally the best thing ever made. Tom, I'm going to take a quick photo of you with, with a jam bomb here. Oh, it's oozing on me. (laughs) Tom, can you... you... I don't like it and I want it to stop. I mean, it looks like a... So jam bombs, as you remember, are literally just a spoon of jam in uh, some cling film. Nick is literally covering his nose. What I find interesting is that Nick is willing to eat chicken drizzle cake at a live show, but not a spoon of jam. I was under duress. You're under duress now, mate. Yeah. Right, so... Your address... Very good. So, um, oh, hang on before very... before we start, yeah. I, I need I need some details for it. Put that in my mouth. What's the brand? <laughs> yeah. What's the flavour? Yeah. And, and has it got bits? It's M and S. Okay, great. Okay, okay. Good. okay. Good. it's strawberry. Okay, and it's uh, soft jam or something like that. Okay, soft spoon jam. I will give you that. If I'm going to eat anything, it will be strawberry uh, jam from M and S. So I'm, yeah. I'm more interested. Yeah, now. yeah. So I, I, can wanna... also, I can also see that Jed can't wait to get started. Yeah. Also, also, jam does need to be soft. That's a deal breaker for me. I <laughs> yeah. will not eat hard jam so this is the thing about Alan's idea for jam bombs as being like what does he say like the best thing ever invented the best they're, thing yeah the best they're thing really made. difficult to make they're really like <laughs> the, the jam's going to go everywhere on your fingers it's not particularly easy to eat I don't understand why he's done it and I don't understand why I've done it but uh, so basically I've got a spoonful of jam wrapped it up in cling film and now I think we just have to kind of take a micro dose of sugar glucose mm. and then the next uh, uh, part of it's our a, it's like a strawberry ballantine isn't it <laughs> yeah. if mine's actually quite well made <laughs> It feels like whole... is, as soon as you unwrap the cling film, you've yeah. literally just got a bit of flat oh, jam on some yeah. plastic. Right, I'm going to go first because you that know that looks this like is something creation. that would go in a yellow bin oh. at the hospital. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Right, I'm going mi- micro dose of jam. Mm. I mean, it's just jam. I, I have to agree; it's the nicest thing ever made. The unpleasantness of licking the cling film <laughs> is immediately replaced with the delicious hit of jam. Just going to capture Nick with his jam bomb. There we go. Absolutely loving it. Oh, don't nibble it. <laughs> it's it's a down in one situation, Nick. There we go. So Nick is taking. Oh, actually, yeah, yeah. See, I mean that is I because mean, it's, it's M&S, a bit right? of jam. So there we go. So we've had our, our micro dose of uh, glucose, sugar glucose. So we should be um, full of beans and ready to crack on with the next part of the episode with vigor and spunk. <laughs> we are. We are indeed. <laughs> Um, so it's yeah, time for chapter mm. twenty-three. That the... was good jam. That was good jam. <laughs> okay, chapter twenty-three: the curious incident of the shoe in the nighttime. Now, obviously, that is referencing the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Um, I I made note here that I just said uh, this is obviously a reference to uh, a very sensitively worded play <laughs> about a child with autism. Let's see how fair it is to have used it as the title of this chapter. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tom, can you give us a? Do we need a journey update at this point? 
Yep, so this is day eight of Alan's walk. Uh, it's a Saturday. Uh, he's starting in Gravesend and heading to Stratford, and he's going to cover 22 miles on this section of the walk. Again, that's quite a de- decent distance for Alan yep. in a day. Uh, okay, so quick synopsis here. So, yeah, uh, Alan awakes on day eight. Uh, Brian is nowhere to be seen, but neither is his left boot. Uh, <laughs> Alan improvises a new left boot comprising a plastic bag filled with slices of bread. Uh, he phones Lynn and convinces himself via her non-committal grunts that he should take a detour via Harvey's house to discuss the walk being commissioned for TV. Uh, his foot wound opens up again. He tends to it into ferry toilets. He also has to convince Lynn to wire wire transfer him some money and retails the timeshare victim to a scam and he will end the day at a premiere inn by stratford westfield um okay so this chapter begins day eight i wake groggy with a mouth as dry as my assistant's cake which yep, i thought so was great he's uh, he's conjured up the image of lynn's vagina within the first two sentences of this <laughs> well i would say he, that's not where mine would my yeah, mind would go he, he's well, felt the need to say that that isn't a euphemism whereas yeah. like what well, i never thought of lynn's vagina yeah. let alone being a dry cake no, that's not where my mind but went no, but, but thanks for clarifying but, but once you read not a euphemism then you, you yeah. oh yeah then yeah. then He's once it's it. once it's written my mind immediately went to Lynn's dry vagina <laughs> but my point was had that not been written my mind would never have gone to Lynn's yeah. dry vagina so from Lynn's dry chiva <laughs> <laughs> oh, dry chiva <laughs> see uh, from Lynn's dry vagina to... <laughs> Stop saying it! You're <laughs> saying moving on. To Alan's dry backside. It's the first backside scratch of the day, and it's always a treat. Brackets, although I really should get it looked at. So you've got some more script, 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 script here in this chapter. Again, this the, this bottom scratching of, of Alan's is very much a Gibbons-era trope, isn't it? So <laughs> yes. it's, co- it's covered in this book, and it's also heavily <laughs> heavily covered in this time when oh. uh, his sleep is recorded. Yeah, I really yes. enjoy... I, I mumble out loud, scratching is fantastic <laughs> can relate it, t- yeah. it turns out Alan's forgotten he was outside and he's being watched by teenagers whilst he scratches his anus um, he calls out for Brian 11 times and I think when you listen to this on the audiobook those 11 times they really do drag on um, so just to make that point I think we should probably play that in now Brian Brian nothing Brian 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 still nothing Brian! 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 Still nothing. Brian! 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 There we go. That is a lot of Brian shouting. That's excellent. Uh, Alan also writes, I sit there utterly bamboozled. Another great typo who obviously means bamboozled. Yep. Which reminded me of the fun we had when discussing CFAX and Teletext on a recent series. As we all know, the classic Teletext game was, of course, bamboozle. So, should we have a bit of bamboozle chat? I know that Adam's keen. Sure. <laughs> I was disappointed. When we first talked, when we talked about this in a previous episode, I was sure that you could get bamboozle on the iPhone as a game, but uh, it, it doesn't exist anymore. Discontinued, yeah, shame, sadly. Shame. Um, but yeah, for those that aren't familiar, bamboozle, and don't worry, Adam, we are going down a bamboozle rabbit hole now. Oh, great. Bamboozle, I hope it lasts eight to ten <laughs> if you're lucky maybe more <laughs> bamboozle was a quiz game featured on channel 4 teletext originally part of teletext fun and games category it ran from 1993 to 2009 the presenter uh, was virtual host bamboozler <laughs> 
<laughs> Obviously deriving his name from the word bamboozle and the name of university challenge host Bamba Gascoigne. Other oh, Boozler yeah. family members were introduced over the game's <laughs> first Absolute few years. Boozler. Bamba's wife, Bambette, who normally appeared when a question was answered incorrectly. While Saturday's quizzes were presented by Bamba's son and daughter, Buster and Bonnie. At one point in the quiz's history, oh, the red, yellow and green keys <laughs> were sensible answers and the blue was mostly reserved for a comical response, although rarely was the correct one. This has later changed and all the keys would have sensible answers. Now you can still play it uh, online. You? Yeah, you can play it on uh, teletextholidays.co.uk slash 404. Um, what is teletextholidays? I mean, who would use teletext <laughs> to book a holiday? I mean, I know I wouldn't. Adam, would you ever book that a holiday on teletext? mental. Yeah, you wouldn't, would no, you? No, you definitely not, wouldn't. Not, not in the modern era. I mean, Nick, would you? <laughs> I, I don't understand how all the things that I've done bad in my life have come back to haunt me in this, in this recording. It just works. Uh, yes, unfortunately, I did book a teletext holiday and live to regret it. Talk us through Nick's big teletext holiday event just the headlines i mean it's a massively long story but in short booked teletext holiday arrived at hotel hotel was genuinely awful it comprised of uh, two single beds which was not a good start bearing in mind i was there with my partner uh, and it was a room that um looked like a student's dorm room and i remember once we went in there uh, the rep kind of left us and my partner immediately broke down and cried a uh, really great holiday a really great, hol- great holiday was but it that- basically like the holiday uh, was it basically like the hotel they turn up to in the in between this movie yeah yeah it, it was exactly <laughs> that and then i had to spend the following 24 hours uh, negotiating with four different travel partners that it turned out teletext had booked our holiday with they were absolutely useless uh we had to book an entirely new hotel um the only blessing being is that uh, they did refund us but because they are genuine incompetent they gave us more money than, the, than what we should have had so there was a nice kind of payoff at the end um although i should probably just say uh teletext do have probably lots of satisfied customers it's just that i wasn't one of them so so is that a recommendation i mean listeners can decide for themselves whether i'm recommending teletext holidays or not they're called teletext holidays like, there's your first that, indicator yeah, yeah. it's not gonna go I, i'd well. say that's rebrand. your first clue yeah, guys rebrand yep Anyway, that's enough about bamboozle, teletext, and CFAX for now, unless, Adam, if you've got anything I mean, to add. Are you sure? Okay, so moving on more to the focus of the chapter, there is a very key passage coming up. Alan writes, Perhaps Brian was merely an invention of my fortified wine-addled mind. Mm. Perhaps, in my drunkenness, I'd been sitting here shooting the breeze with a pile of old pissy clothes. <laughs> or, maybe he was a road spirit. Some Native Americans believe weary travellers are visited by well-meaning sprites who provide guidance in the long, dark nights. So that would almost be the kind of devil at the crossroads type theory. Um, or, yeah, is it just Alan is drunk out of his mind imagining things? Uh, yeah, we go on to learn that uh, Brian, if he's real, is made off of Alan's bag, wallet, watch and snacks. Um, Alan writes, it's a pity uh, he was intending to gift Brian a few thousand pounds and find him work in television. Don't believe me? Well, that's up to you, Brian. <laughs> uh, I thought it was very interesting. Alan says he was going to give him £10,000 in cash, which is more than Lynn's salary at least was back in 2002, and a creative director position at Pear Tree Productions. Uh, how, if you're a creative director at Pear Tree Productions, how many staff do you think you are, are going to be beneath you at that point? Is it just Lynn? Yeah. It's a skillful <laughs> staff of two, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Skeleton staff. Someone's got to run, run that infographics business, though. Oh, it's a very good point. I mean, there are several offshoots. Who's yeah. looking up the spreadsheets? It's not Lynn, is it? We know what she's like with email. Yeah. <laughs> not the most te- technologically minded. Also, um, a crucial that at this point, Alan is once again uh, having and losing an argument with uh, a, someone that he we, we think has probably been invented. Well, I still stand by I don't think he's been invented because the boot is gone. The bag is gone. Ah, but I the wallet think, and snacks yeah, are gone. Uh, I, is that not because 
he remember he wakes up in the morning and he's being watched by a group of teenagers. Have they not just ransacked all his stuff because there's like a pile of clothes that have been chucked? So over. I think I was the only one that uh, gave a gave a, a clear view of rationale. Are you guys saying that you think that Brian is made up? I'm not. I'm genuinely not sure. I mean, in my notes, I've written kind of like the discussion point being: was he real? Was he a figment of Alan's imagination? Um, perhaps more likely, an invented character to serve as a literary device slash method to justify his visit to Harvey. So, yeah. it could be. But if you're going to invent a character that backs and validates everything you say, why make it a tramp to make you look humble and for it to be someone that you realistically could have come across whilst walking? And remember, he has had to sleep the night on the bench anyway, so. Who are you likely to meet whilst he's sleeping on a bench overnight I, I, in Gravesend? I don't think he invented this whole thing when he was back at home writing up the book, but I do think that he basically was at a bit of a low ebb. His foot was hurting, so he bought himself a bottle of sherry, sat on a bench next to a pile of pissy old clothes, drank the sherry, and then saw what he saw. <laughs> Although we know, we know that Alan is actually quite good at improvisation because in the following passage he writes, such improvisation, although it's not actually about Brian, uh, is nothing new to me. I once spent a weekend trapped in a warehouse and managed to survive by fashioning a gown and cowl from bubble wrap and packing tape. That gown and cowl saved my life and I felt pretty sassy as well. I still wear it around the house on Saturdays when I'm listening to records or vacuum cleaning. That was Scissor Dial, wasn't it? When it was Scissor Dial in indeed, yes. When he went freegan mm. with the freegan. Uh, Google the, it! <laughs> there's a great lin bit um where she makes a less than enthusiastic noise because alan has said the word dick she's unable to differentiate between proper nouns and swear words which is why she refers to the well-known british garden bird as a blue chest (laughs) (laughs) and i I love the uh the conversation that unfolds between alan and lynn where he keeps asking her do you think i should turn up at the guy's house um just basically he's waiting to get the answer that he, that he, he wants vali- he yeah. needs his what he wants to do validated by someone else which is usually lynn because she's yes. the only one that will listen to him but he knows what he wants to do it's just tell me it's okay lynn yeah. and then i'll go and do it yeah and he decides that based on one of her grunts <laughs> sounds enough like yes for us to have agreed on my heading to the house of harvey kennedy i then love the way that alan has kind of retrofitted the rules of the walk um the footsteps of my father walks don't have to follow a precise route they just have to be an approximation of the original journey a minor detour to the house of an influential television and literary agent is hardly going to trash the meaning behind the journey i like the bit just before that he says i sigh and explain to her very slowly very simply in terms that hopefully she'll understand (laughs) (laughs) that the book is littered with these quite hateful descriptions of lynn really which uh, i i always enjoy um i believe from a reference to his cleaner earlier in the book that the cleaner could well still be sonia but at this point he says uh, when he's talking to lynn i moved the conversation onto other matters that do concern her filing replacing squeaky office chair sacking cleaner mm. and hang up so i think this could be the point where we see the back of sonia yeah because at the end of i partridge uh him and sonia have split up but sonia is employed as, as his cleaner yeah, yeah and we know that by the time we get to this time he has a cleaner that he's reluctant to ask about her chemo which we don't believe is Sonia anymore yeah but we don't know for sure essentially oh no I mean but we're here to speculate oh absolutely (laughs) I was under the impression (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um it it transpires that alan has uh already taken the ferry over from gravesend and not even mentioned it because he says this will involve turning back and recrossing the thames crucially which he's happy to do uh and as we know with that uh perspective flip and the unreliable narrator if he says he's happy to do something it's the opposite um the foot wound has opened up again after snagging on a sharp stick um so he fixes it using an age-old method of wrapping toilet paper round and round and round and round round my injured foot until there are just four pieces of toilet paper left 
I did quite enjoy this section. If I've judged this right, this should be enough to clean my backside after what I hope will be a straightforward ablution. Of course, Alan, back to the ablutions. And it is, the texture of stool is exactly as firm and dry as I'd hoped. I could probably have done it in three. Uh, I think there's a great payoff here when someone comes in to use a toilet after him. I just, <laughs> I, Alan's debating whether to inform him of the lack of toilet tissue and writes, I dislike his facial expression immensely, so decide not to bother. After he's entered and shut the door, I smile as I hear the clunk of a hastily unbuckled belt. He'll find out the hard way. That is fantastic. <laughs> that is brilliant. Um, uh, just a quick note about the address that he's yes. heading to. Um, I had this as well. Yeah, we've already oh, yeah. heard that Lynn disapproves of him saying the word dick, and I think that's why yes. when she texts him the address, she has starred out the E in the sex of Middlesex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. she, th- she thinks it's rude. Um, he also, I, 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 he, we said he was going to do a, a brief diversion, he described this as, but he says he puts his phone away and does a 180, so he's clearly going in completely the opposite direction to the one he was going in. Yeah, well, because he he's crossed the river and has to cross back over the river, it would make it's it's a quick. It actually, it would be a quicker route for him to go uh, that side of the river over to uh, west West London. Uh-huh. Um, there's another great simile here, uh, allowing Alan uh, to demonstrate his anti-London agenda. The outline of his grey <laughs> buildings muscling into the sky like a rude person's bag on an empty train seat, which you see a lot of in London. Um, what did you guys make of this story about um, Lynn being scammed? Anybody, anybody got any any notes on that? I quite enjoyed the story as a whole. Uh, when she sunk £2,000 of her mother's inheritance into a friendship with a foreign correspondent by the name of Godfrey Tweed. <laughs> yep, with three E's. <laughs> yep. uh, apparently he was eager to leave Lagos and come home to Norfolk to take lunch with her. Uh, the fact his surname contained three E's and he's about Norfolk as... Nofroak hadn't rung any alarm bells with her. <laughs> yeah, this this story transpires because Alan is trying to get her to uh, wire money to him. Um, question to the group: Has anybody ever fallen victim of an email scam or similar? Nope. Uh, this, nope. And for once, this isn't actually a setup. And <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. I haven't. Not to a scam, no. Oh, oh but but <laughs> well, I did click on a, a link that I thought was from PayPal once, <laughs> and it transpired once I uh, accessed the link and logged into PayPal. I was like, "Hang on a second, where did that actually come from? Why did I just like log in on the link?" Uh, <laughs> I logged in before you. Yeah, don't question it until after clicking. No, Brilliant. but by, by that point, I'd logged in and provided them my details, and then had to immediately uh, get on the phone to PayPal to try and get it sorted. <laughs> Luckily, no money was taken though. Great. Well, that that question to group really worked out beautifully. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and this is quite a, a weird way. This this all that Alan reveals. He ended up secretly emailing Godfrey, threatening to call the police, uh, and then he he stopped emailing Lynn. So then Alan set up a fake email account under his name and entered into a six month email correspondence <laughs> with his own assistant. A staggeringly tedious exchange during which I slash Godfrey let her down gently, promised to remember her always, and paid her back two grand from her own money purely to spare me the grief of having a grumpy assistant moping around the place. <laughs> and I thought that's amazing. He's willing to. Just for the sake of him not having to put up a Lynn being yeah. grumpy, yeah, that's it. he's willing to pay her two grand, which is pretty much a fifth yeah. of Lynn's entire salary. Yeah. I, and I did, I did love as well. Uh, she found out it actually was all Alan because she discovered the correspondence and she kept the money. And I thought, good on you, Lynn. <laughs> uh, this seems almost like Alan breaking character and doing something actually just genuinely nice for Lynn. He's claiming here it's because he doesn't want a grumpy assistant. Mm. But yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. if you had the choice of grumpy assistant or lose two grand, you would choose the grumpy assistant, <laughs> wouldn't you? So yeah. I think he's actually, uh, he's just, just done Lynn a solid. No, I don't think he has. I think it's, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't want a grumpy assistant, so he would rather go into the six-month exchange, pay two thousand pounds, and have to deal with a heartbroken um, Lynn. Does anyone else have anything on this chapter, or should we move on to chapter twenty-four? Uh, I just like the little detail that Dave Clifton calls money spondulies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and also the little bit, uh, he's basically mentioned that he watches the, the King's Speech, presumably just to include an absolutely brilliant footnote, which is that he used to go out with a girl who stammered. Oh, yeah. And this film reminded me of her and made me think I could have handled our relationship differently. Like the speech therapist <laughs> in the film, my approach was very much tough, tough love. Talk properly, I'd shout, or I'd demonstrate how straightforward speaking was for me. <laughs> it was designed to inspire her, but her mum had a word with my mum and I wasn't allowed to see her after that. <laughs> Amazing. Great. Okay, chapter 24. This chapter is quite short. Uh, Tom, do we, really have a, we, do we have a journey update for this chapter? We do. It's day nine. It's a Sunday. Alan's going from Stratford to Pinner. Uh, this chapter is quite short, but Alan's walk on this day isn't. He's covering 20 miles. Not bad, Alan. Not bad at all. You can almost imagine him going in, in a meeting with the publishers going, um, just 24, just call it. This chapter is quite short. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> now, in, interestingly, uh, this chapter in the audiobook is 2 minutes 28. There are actually two shorter chapters in the book. The epilogue, I mean, fair enough, it is the epilogue, uh, is 2 minutes 13. But there is an even shorter chapter, My Route, which is 2 minutes and 8 seconds long. Ah. Um, so, yeah, this chapter sees Alan making his way across London and arriving at Harvey's house. It transpires Harvey is away in France, and obviously that's absolutely fine. <laughs> the chapter opens with some brilliant uh, anti-London banter from Alan again. Day nine, I pass through Stoke Newington and Crouch End. Two pleased with themselves, North London enclaves, where, in the words of Alan Titchmarsh, you could slap a stranger and feel sure they deserved it. <laughs> Take that, North London. Yeah. Uh, in the words of Alan Titchmarsh. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. I yeah, love that. It's great. Uh, he says that cocktail sausages and scotch egg would probably be called sausage two ways in North London. I mean, I think he's it got a bit of a... Would, it probably would be, yeah. yeah, yeah he's yeah, got a fair. point there, yeah. There, yeah. Are, there are a lot of smackable people in Stoke Newington. <laughs> <laughs> Confirming. Um, so I've done some uh, crunching on Alan's journey this day. He says he sets off at 0900 hours. I'd hope to complete this cool 17 miler in about eight hours but when i arrive it's probably closer to uh 8 p.m uh so that would be uh he's planning it's 11 hours walking and it's roughly 17 to 20 miles depending on the route that he would take either way that means he's been walking at the speed of around 1.6 to 1.8 miles an hour whereas the average human walking speed is 3.1 miles an hour so he is going very slowly indeed um it's because he's got a foot that's basically a bag of mints at this point. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he's got an injured foot and it's bound up with uh, toilet tissue. There might still be some bread and I, I guess it's still in the plastic bag as and, well. And probably still into two days of an absolutely harrowing sherry hangover too. <laughs> yeah, very good point. I'm still doubtful about the foot thing. I still think that he's making excuses for his, you know, because we know he's... So you don't think he, his foot is really injured? I don't know, just like based on the fact that... Because you remember how the book ends, right? <laughs> but Yeah, but I, mm. I still don't necessarily <laughs> believe it though. I think he might be embellishing it yeah i I think that that is very likely knowing alan as we do that he's he's making it sound a lot worse than it is but i think you do reach i think there's a turning point when it's clearly very bad and very infected but i'm sure we'll cover all that coming up um so yeah, Alan is at Harvey's house, crouching behind a Mitsubishi Shogun in a neighbour's drive. I love this. I pop my top off and wash my body with a bottle of Debian and a spare sock. Uh, and also wash at my body. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah good point. Pouring at himself. I, I thought I'd uh, just uh, mucked up my copy and paste, but yeah, you're right. Um, my favourite detail here, I discard the sock by forcing it into the soil of the Shogun owner's rose patch and then finally I'm ready. Um, my parents had a Mitsubishi Shogun. It was stolen out of our garage and then found a few days later burnt out in a field. Serious? Yeah. Wow. Tom's lovely story. Yeah. We, uh, we, uh, my parents were going to take me to school. We went up the garden path into the uh, garage and found that the 
Mitsubishi Shogun wasn't there anymore. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, completely stolen and burnt out in a field a wow. few days later. Was there a dirty sock in the, in the rose patch? <laughs> Alan! <laughs> so much like Alan, you really did have a nightmare on Elm Drive. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, so it turns out Harvey's away. He doesn't fly back into Gatwick until Tuesday. There are some great falsely positive affirmations from Alan here. Uh, he writes, although it really isn't a nightmare, it's absolutely fine. Totally through gritted teeth. <laughs> and he also writes, some might suggest that Harvey's not being home has rendered the entire detour a total waste of time, but I disagree. Uh, he ends the chapter writing in the words of a Geordie man I once knew worse things happen at sea which in this case turned out to be chillingly accurate of course you know Michael hurls himself into the sea oh shit and is, and is never seen again <laughs> presumed dead and you get Coogan doing the Geordie accent here which as we've just kind of discussed seems a bit out of character for Alan to be so good at accents uh, my last note really was you know for me uh, Michael's leap into the sea uh, towards the end of Alpha Papa was probably my favourite moment of the film uh, so uh a question of two parts to the group here. Was Michael the saviour of Alpha Papa and what is your favourite moment from Alpha Papa? Because I, I, my theory is if we made a top five moments, Michael would probably be in most of them. I think you might be right. I mean, they talk, they've talked before the uh, the guys behind the film of using Michael fairly sparingly. Yeah. But I think that makes the, the bits that he's in a lot mm, more memorable. Mm. But to, to me, the, the only line that I often remember is where he's like, I've got near tax and near insurance. Yep. What are you going to do about it this time? <laughs> that, that's in my <laughs> top five. Time. Yeah. 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 Um, when... You hear, you just hear from somebody in reception saying Michael do it outside. Basically, snot snot his nose. Oh yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. Uh, throwing himself into the sea. Uh, any other Michael highlights? Um, well, the, the other key one I've got is I'm sorry box. I've done a shit in a box. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and on that note, I think that probably brings us to the end of the episode. <laughs> it does indeed. So uh, next week, we're going to be looking at a man called Michael and also another staple of Partridge Cannon, uh, my angel. Uh, um, <laughs> so uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us please do it's thepartridgepod at gmail.com facebook.com slash thepartridgepod on twitter it's at thepartridgepod instagram at monkey tennis pod and the monkey tennis hotline is open on 07923 leave us a voice note or a whatsapp voice note and uh, you may feature in a future episode um, so yeah we'll see you next week for Michael, Angela, Alan and more but from all of us at Monkey Tennis the Alan Partridge fan podcast thanks and goodbye thanks Bye. a lot I'm off to do a shit in a box it's not even a joke I must complete the journey that my father never could. I must do it on foot. Can't remember why. It will be called The Footsteps of My Father Walk. My home isn't insulated. Monkey tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Lava on him, nosey. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey tennis? Oh, fuck off, Nick. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.